I will invite us to turn to the letter of John, First John chapter 3. We'll be considering verses 16 to 18, but I will read from verses 1 to 18. Verses 1 to 16. And I read. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the, de works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brother. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if, one, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us ask the Lord to help us before we hear his word. Oh Lord, we come to you again, and we will come to you again. And oh Lord, our cry this morning 
my cry this morning is that we would be fed from your word. Oh Lord, help us that we would glean from it. We pray that may we be fed and be fed of you. Oh Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts so that we would listen, so that we would not just listen, but we would do what your word requires of us. Help me, O oh Lord, to be faithful. Help me to be clear, to be simple as I preach your word this morning. Strengthen my weak heart, my weak hands. Help me in my thoughts which are weak. Help me in my words which are weak that the strength and the power of Christ may be seen in me. O oh Lord, may you be exalted here on this day, on this pulpit. May Christ be lifted up. May he increase and may we decrease your word goes forth. So we thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things that I understand those who are working in the education sectors have been working hard to deal with, with our education uh, system here in Kenya, is to ensure that children are not only taught, but children get an opportunity to practice what they are taught. That's one of the biggest challenges right now with our educational system, that uh, we are taught science, we are taught chemistry, but we don't have labs, isn't it? You are taught when this chemical mixes with this chemical, this is the reaction. But they only read it in books. They never get to go to a lab. And even the labs that I'm sure some of us have experienced this, that the labs we studied in didn't have all the reagents and chemicals that are needed, isn't it? And we had to be content with simple theory. And educators have come to realize that the best way of teaching is not just to have theory where you are taught in class that when this chemical mixes with this chemical, this happens, this color changes, this and that happens. It is good when the students are there, when they see it, when it is practical, they can even do it themselves. Even in spiritual things, the same thing applies. That the Bible teaches us a lot of doctrine. We are taught a lot of theology, which is good and it is important. But it is important that we are not only taught, but we get to exercise. We get to go to the lab in a sense, and mix the reagents and see those uh, chemicals mixing and we see it and we appreciate it and we take note. 
there is a way in which we show ourselves to be true learners, true students of the gospel, when we are not just hearers, but doers of the word of God. We not only know doctrine, but we have experienced doctrine in our own lives, and that we live out the doctrine that we see in the Bible. If you actually look at the letters of the Bible, eh, do, in your own time, do this. Just look at how the letters are written in the Bible, especially the letters of Paul. You will notice that Paul begins by laying out doctrine. For example, if you look at Romans, the, gospel, uh, the, the letter to the Romans, the epistle to the Romans, you see that Paul begins in chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11. Doing what? Laying down doctrine. He teaches us what the Lord does. He teaches us that we have fallen in Adam. He teaches us that we cannot be justified by works. He teaches us that it is only by faith in Christ we are saved. And he applies those doctrines and he, he, he lays them out. But then from chapter 12 to the end, 16, it is practicals. The same thing happens in Ephesians. Doctrine and then practicals. And this is the way of the spiritual life. That in our spiritual life, we must be the people who have studied, but just like in the chemistry, which we had in high school, there is chemistry paper one, and there is, is it paper two that was practicals? I've forgotten. It's a while. It's paper three. I'm, I'm being reminded. Polenia. It's there's paper one, two that is in the class, and then there is paper three, practicals. And John, in the same way, now brings us, he has thrust out the truth that we ought to love one another, and we saw that in the former, in the uh, last sermon that I preached in the morning. But now we get to paper three, practicals. He shows us that now that you know, now that you have been taught, what uh, um, love is, and that you ought to love, he now shows us how you ought to do it. You need to see this, you need to experience this, you need to give it out. And so this morning I bring God's word to each and every one of us, not to some of us, all of us, to everyone listening to, seated here, watching via the live stream. That the Bible not only teaches you to love, it expects you. And it shows you how you ought to love. You don't get to love the brethren the way you want. The same way you don't go to the chemistry lab and mix things the way you want, isn't it? You are given a procedure. Take this reagent, mix it with this one. Observe. Then take this reagent and mix it with this one. Observe. Write down. In the same way, Spiritually, you don't get to do things the way you want. You do things the way God has commanded. And even with love, that very important doctrine of love, you, have, you don't have the 
um, leeway to love the brethren how you want. There is a specific, there is a clear way how you ought to love. And we're going to be looking at that this morning, and I trust and I pray that the Lord will help us to grasp the truths from his word this morning. So I want us to see that in loving the saints, the first thing that we are told of how we ought to love the brethren, because all us, uh, John has already told us that we ought to love, that those who do not have love are living in darkness. They have no spiritual life. They are in death. He says, for the saints, for you who have been commanded to love, you don't love as you want. You love and you love the saints. You love the church. You love the person seated in front of you and next to you. Those who call on the name of Christ, you love them sacrificially. And this is what we see in verse 16. By this we know love, that he, that is Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren or for the brothers. This is the kind of love, dear saints, that we are called to. How should you love those who are in TBC? Is it a touch and go kind of love? Is it a high and by kind of love? Is it, I call you once a week, I'm a, when I feel like kind of a love? No, it is sacrificial love. It is love that is painful. You know, a sacrifice is not easy. A sacrifice is painful. A sacrifice is something that costs you something. It costs you your comfort, costs you your wallet, it costs you your time. And this is the kind of love that we ought to have. The kind of love we see that, they, that Christ had for the church. And we need to know this because the world has obscured what love is. The world that we live in today is so much obsessed with the word, the word love. And I fear that we have been influenced wrongly by the worldly idea of love. Look at the songs. Look at the movies. Look at the books. They are ever giving you a, what a definition of what love is. They've reduced love to romance. The world has reduced love to a feeling. So it happens that we have also been caught up in that, in this time. It may be that we are also caught up with a world where we do not understand what love is. We are carried about by the world that is obsessed with love. Lots of songs about love. Lots of movies, poems, plays about love. 
But you all agree with me that in spite of all this obsession that the world has with love, there isn't any love going round. Actually, what we see in the world is more selfishness. We see a me-centered love. We have understood love to be all about me. Love ends, the train of love ends with me. What I get, what I feel, what I need, me, me, me. That is the worldly understanding of love. That's not biblical love. Biblical love is sacrificial. In other words, unlike the world which thinks that love is what you receive, in the Bible, love is what you give. For God so much loved the world that he gave. He gave. Christ gave his life. God gave his son. This is a kind of love that we have been called to. And he shows and he begins by showing that the church of Christ, we are a unique group of people separate from the world. Why are we different? Because we have experienced and we know the truest love, the love of Christ. John doesn't say that believers simply um, know or, or have read about love. He doesn't say you have read about love. You know by this we know love. He doesn't say you have been taught love. But the expression of John in this passage is that you have experienced love. You as the saints have been immersed in the love of Christ. You as the saints have been filled with the love of Christ. You haven't simply read about it. You know in the world people read about love, isn't it? They read it in romantic novels. They see it in romantic movies. He says that you are not the one. You have actually experienced the love of Christ. It is a real deal to you. It is not something you fantasize about like the world. It is not simply something you desire like the world. You have it. You have been immersed in it. You know love. You know the truest love, the love of Christ. That he died on the cross for your sins. That when he hung there on that cross and he cried, and when he said, I am thirsty, what did they give him? They gave him God. It was bitter. That when he was hanging there, they were insulting him. When he was hanging there, the wrath of God was so much poured upon him that we are told that it became dark. The love of God for us. We have experienced it. And this love of Christ for his people is the purest and truest love. 
It is pure and true not only because it comes from him, but how it has come through his death on the cross. And even more is that Christ died and he showed his love to an undeserving, unthankful group of people. Did Christ die for us because we signed up and we said, Jesus Christ, we love you, and therefore he died for us? Did we say, oh Lord, we love you so much, now send your son to die on the cross for us? Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 to 8. For, excuse me, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is a sacrificial kind of love. That you know these people hate you. These people despise you. These people want nothing to do with you. And you still die for them. You know, in, in the worldly kind of love, uh, we look at love as a two-way street, isn't it? I give you love and you give me love. But look at this. The gospel love, the love that you ought to have for this church, the love that you ought to have for the saints, because this is talking about love for the saints, not even about me loving my wife, me loving my children. It is how I ought to love you and how you ought to love me. It is a one-way street, and that street is simply going. It is a one-way street that gives and gives and gives, and gives to people who don't respond. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we still rejected him, Christ died for us. Those people who are insulting, he died for them. He died for Peter who denied him three times and ran away. He died for those disciples who, when they saw soldiers coming to arrest him, they fled and they ran away. And they were hiding as cowards. He died for those. He died for Paul who persecuted his church who wanted to kill Christians. He died for him. In the love of Christ, Paul is saying this, or John, sorry, is saying this, that in this love of Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ, we have the best example of love. You want to know how you ought to love the saints? Love them sacrificially. As Christ loved us and loved you. Because I think one of the things that I can say this as a pastor that I have seen is that 
our love for the church often goes up and then it goes down and we don't do anything to start it up. And it goes down because you realize, oh, you know, I joined this church and realize that they are not as interesting as I thought. I realize that the pastors have weaknesses. I realize that the members have weaknesses. And add on top of that one thing after another, and on top of another, on top of another. And one of the things John is asking us is that, because we like saying this, I didn't feel loved there. The question you need to be asked is, how much love did you give? The question is, they didn't, it shouldn't be, they didn't love me, is how much did I love them? How much am I loving the church right now? It is easy to say, oh, you know, Christians are not loving. The church is not loving. Are you a contributor to that? Because you're actually saying that you're part of the problem. Are you yourself giving love to these people who are undeserving? We can put it that way. Because Christ died for us when he was, when he was still rejected. When our fists were raised against him. The force of John's message is this. Since you have experienced this love of Christ, love the same. Each one of us is to love the brethren. First of all, because it is a command, but even more, because we have experienced the sacrificial love of Christ. You know, the love of Christ doesn't ebb and flow. He doesn't say, uh, you know, today you really read your Bible really well. You know what? Today I love you. I'll give you 90% love. And then the next day you wake up, you don't read your Bible, you, you wake up late, you don't smile at your neighbor, you kick his cart, you go to the matatu and you have issues with, with the, uh, the, the matatu person. And as Christ say now, ah, yeah, 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 you know, you have so many issues. You know, today I'll just love you 20%. What the kind of love we see in the Bible? His love for us remains constant. It remains constant. When you fall into sin, he loves you. When you rise up from that sin, he loves you. When you fall again, he loves you. When you rise up again, he still loves you. This is how we ought to love us. That when they fail us, we love them. When they do well for, to us, we love them. When again they fail us, don't say, I'm done. I'm done with the church. I've heard that statement so many times. Done with it. And we are all tempted to say it, isn't it? We all are tempted to say that, oh, I'm done with this group of people. Ought to love and love sacrificially, like Christ loved us. Then John goes another step and he shows that we are not only to love them sacrificially, from the example of Christ, we are to love them 
in a practical way. Our love ought to be a practical love. It is not simply a theoretical love. It is not simply a love that is filling the head and exciting the heart. But it is a love that causes our hands and our feet to move. It says this in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He asks a question. This flows from point number one. If we are to love one another sacrificially, it ought to show itself by how we handle the things that are around us. John, having shown us the underlying truth that Christian love is sacrificial, the example set by Christ, John will now apply it to our earthly realities. It is important that he teaches this, or his teaching flows from this level of what Christ has done to how we conduct ourselves in our daily lives. Because the danger is sometimes we spiritualize love. And we make love to be this spiritual or spooky thing. You know this the word spooky? You can't define it. Just a feeling. It's limited to goosebumps. And that's the Again, that's the world, that's how the world looks at love. It's, he walks into the room or she walks into the room and I get goosebumps. They call that love. Love is not this spooky thing. It is a real thing that shows itself in our conduct, in our actions, in our desires, in our hopes. And what he will show is, love will actually, if you want to see if there is one barometer to measure your love, he says, look at how you handle the world's goods. There are many other barometers, but this is one of the barometers. Look at how you handle the worldly goods that you have. Your wallet is a good barometer of Christian love. Now, some of you are shocked and saying, hey. I thought loving is me just saying hi with a smiley face and then moving. That's part of it. But another part is, how do you handle the things that you have? The abundance that you have? When you get that bonus at work, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? John here shows that Christian love 
is not the extreme actual laying down of our lives for one another, since Christ has already done this, and therefore there is no need for another sacrifice, but he extrapolates the love of Christ to our existence and our lives here on earth. He shows us here that the Christian life, the Christian love is composed of what we might call the open heart policy. But if anyone has the world, world's goods and yet closes his heart, So this is something that starts from the heart. It is not simply a matter that starts from your wallet because your wallet is, in a sense, guided by your heart. How you give, how you help, how you give your time, your energies, is controlled, first of all, from your heart. And so he doesn't tell us, first of all, look at um, how much you have and then give. He says, look at your heart. Where is your heart? What is the way that your heart thinks of wealth? How do you perceive wealth? How do you perceive those things that God has given you from your heart? Pastor Eric just taught us the other day from Matthew 6 on storing up our treasures in heaven. And he showed us how those things that we have, the earthly things that we have, we ought to use it for the good of the saints. As we store up Wealth in heaven. And this idea of loving the brethren through the worldly goods that we have is not a new covenant thing. Don't think that John is saying something new. It was there in the Old Testament. For example, look at Leviticus 19, verse 9 to 10. Leviticus 19, verse 9 to 10, so that we understand that this is not something that the New Testament Christians were expected to do. But even Old Testament Christians, if I can put it that way, were expected to do. What, what do we see here? Leviticus 19, verse 9, 10. Just open it. We are told, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyards bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes 
of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You are to demonstrate that you love your fellow Israelites by helping them with their material needs. And we see this command now coming to the New Testament. This is a kind of love we ought to have for one another. Look at Galatians 6 and verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are called to have this open heart policy. And what is the open heart policy? First of all, how do we in our hearts view the wealth, the abundance, the things that God has given to us? Do we view them as tools and instruments for us to grow in every good work? Or do we see them as tools and instruments only for my good? my benefit. You know, the people in the early church, and sometimes we read the book of Acts and we are challenged and we just say, well, the people in the book of Acts were radical, and we put that word radical. The church, we are told that the brethren would go, would sell everything, would bring it to the feet of the disciples, and they would distribute everything. So that no one had need. We might look at that today and say, well, that's communism. We don't want communism in the church. No, that's not communism. That's the Bible. Help one another. As long as there is an opportunity. In other words, we are ever looking for opportunities. Our hearts are ever open to needs. Our eyes are looking out for needs. Have I noticed that there is a brother who has a certain challenge? I've seen that they come to church, then they don't come another Sunday, and then they come another Sunday, and then they don't come. Have I ever sat down and asked them, hey, what's the problem? And they open up to me that, hey, you know what? I don't have fear to come to church. We just say, hey, I'll pray with you, and we pray for them, and we tell them, be be full, be fed, be warm. And yet I have so many zeros in my bank account. Bank account is getting fuller and fuller more and more. I turn a blind eye. If you want to know how serious loving the brothers practically is, if you want to be sobered up, this is what Christ says in Matthew 25. When Christ talks about the sheep and the goat, how do we know the difference between the sheep and the goat? Matthew 25, 33 to 40. This is what he says.
Let me read from verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him he will gather all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And look at the difference between the sheep and the goat. Eh? And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goat on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, that is the sheep, eh? Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, where did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a, a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. At your own time, you can read about the goats and what he says to them. Do we read a verse like this and say, well, is Christ saying that we are saved by works? Because I think that's where we tend to jump. We, we tend to jump quickly to, no, 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 no. Let's minimize this. If Christ said it, it is true and it is important. We are totally saved by grace through faith alone. But this faith does not stand by itself. We are saved actually unto good works. We are saved so that we may take care of the saints. So that we may be practical in loving them. So that our wallets may tell us how we are truly loving the saints. And this is, by the way, I'm not saying this because there is something Pastor Eric said which is very important. Let's not read this and think he's only talking about those who have a lot of money. Oh no. He's talking even to the person who the only thing that they have is 50 shillings. The only wealth that they have is that 100 shillings in their pocket. You are also called to that. But this is especially to those who have the ability. Love the saints. I mean, if anyone has the worldly goods and sees his brother in needs and yet closes his heart, how can you say that you have God's love in you? How can we close our eyes? How can we close our hearts and yet claim to love? We must be practical. We must be those who go out. And you see, it's not just about giving food or money. It is about visiting the sick, visiting those who are in prison, welcoming a stranger, 
giving a cup of drinking water to one who is thirsty. We don't think of that as something big, don't we? That if a brother or sister at lunchtime, we are seated with them here and they say, I am thirsty, that we just walk out and we go get them a cup of water and come back, that we are actually fulfilling this. One of the things I thank God for and, and I encourage us to grow in this is that I see a lot of this being applied here, especially at lunchtime where people are distributing plates and they're asking brothers and sisters, do you have something to eat? Let me go and get you food. That's a very good thing and let me encourage you in that. Let's keep on doing it. Let's continue giving one another a cup of water when we are thirsty. Let's continue giving one another a, you know, drop them somewhere as you're on your way home. Helping one another in every way that we can, not closing our hearts. We love sacrificially, and this sacrificial love is seen in how we love one another in a practical way. But then lastly, There is a, a warning or a caution or a watch out phrase, having shown us that love one another sacrificially as Christ has loved us. Let us love one another practically. There is always the danger that after some time we allow things to go back where they used to be. We slide back to where we used to be. We slide back to a closed heart. You know, there are times when your heart is really open to the saints. If you're not careful, it starts closing itself slowly by slowly, slowly, until again, it's shut. And therefore, he says, watch out. Be on the lookout. Make sure your love is genuine. Make sure that in all situations, you continue watching how you love the same. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, there's this saying that talk is cheap. And it is true. Talk is cheap. Actually, much talk is not only cheap, but it is dangerous. Whenever there is much talk, there is a danger that there is fakeness. Right? When you go and you buy something, if you go to a shop, you want to buy a phone, a certain electronic, and from the time you go in, this salesman is just talking, talking, talking. They never let you even to say what, maybe you had just come to ask them for a cup of water and then walk out. Eh? And this guy is just telling you how this, ah, this is the best thing. Oh, it even has this. The more words they add, the more they talk, the more you become suspicious, isn't it? 
the more you are like, why, why is he, why is he talking so much about this thing? You will even become careful, isn't it? You will, you'll just tell him, okay, 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 I'll, I'll let me see, let me just walk around and then I'll come to you. Or you walk out. John is saying that there is a level in which we can also become like those cells, men and women. And it can be known by how much we talk and talk and talk and never actually do. Now, there is nothing wrong with us encouraging one another to love one another. He's not talking about that. He's talking about this idea where you forever saying you will do this, promising, devoting yourself, uh, making more promises, and you never actualize. Ah, I love Victor. Oh, I love Christ so much. I love brethren. I love you people. I love the church. But then in reality, you are not doing those things. And he's saying, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In the Christian faith, to talk about a truth and not practice it is equal to not only denying that truth, but denying God. If you keep on talking about a certain truth, you are eloquent about that truth. You are a master at that truth, but you never practice it. It is not only simply denying what you have learned, but it is denying the very God who has set up that truth. If you are ever talking about holiness and you do not pursue holiness, you are not only denying that truth of holiness, you are actually denying the God who is holy. If you are ever talking about repentance and brokenness and you are never repentant or broken, you are not just denying that truth, you are denying the very God who has laid out that truth. And that's what John is saying. If you say you love and you talk about it, but you never do it, you're not only denying that truth, love, you're denying the very God who's saying it. We see this, for example, in Titus. If you see in Titus 1, 16, Titus 1 and verse 16, there is an interesting statement that Paul says there that helps us to grasp this thing or this truth, he says of the false Christians that there are people who, he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So you can actually deny God, not by your words, but by your works, your actions, or your lack of actions, if I can put it that way. How you conduct yourself, what you do and don't do, how, and especially in this context, how much you are able to 
Give yourself for the good of the church. One of the biggest dangers is actually, and, and I need to say this, is that at times we feel I have served the church enough. I have helped the brothers enough. Now let me rest. I am old. And uh, hopefully that's why we are having that seminar for old age. No, continue on loving the saints. Don't just say, I used to love them. Now I love them from afar. No. Or you're saying, you know what? I, I, I served the Lord when I was single. Now I'm married. Now I will take some time off. No. Love them and love them genuinely. Not just in talk. There is always the danger that we can become experts of the doctrines in the scriptures, but careless, callous, and cold when it comes to leaving them out. And the high doctrine of love is not exempt from this carelessness, callousness, and coldness. And this is what John is saying that you can say, and not leave out. You can know headwives and not leave it out. Be careful. Make sure that your love is genuine. Paul in Romans 12 verse 9 says the same thing. I remember we are having this conversation with a number of brethren and I'm hoping that maybe during lunchtime you can have your own discussions. Paul says this in Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be genuine. And for him to say that love, let your love be genuine, he's saying that there can be a false love, isn't it? If there is a genuine Samsung phone, there is a fake one, right? There is a genuine iPhone, there is always a fake one. If there is genuine love, there is fake love. And he's saying one of the ways you can identify that fake love is it's so full of talk but it doesn't have action. That love is not gentle, it's not humble, it's not submissive to authority, it is not patient, it is not giving, just talk, talk, talk. It never shows itself. Paul is saying, watch out. You're not all talk and no action. This is actually the word here, love. is Love in word is actually the word love in tongue. The Greek word, love in tongue. And what he's saying is that in this love in tongue, a love that is moved by the tongue, is that the tongue or the mouth or the words are the only substance and the only mover. The substance of that love is only words, never actions. It is to profess an affection that is not felt in the heart, nor actualized by the hands. It is a love that boasts much with grand words, oh, big words, high words, lofty words. 
that is even accompanied by a great display of emotion, but that doesn't go further than that. The other way in which we can look at this false love is that it is also a love that is focused on gaining praise from men. It is a love that is you do an action so that you may get the praises of men, the words of men. It is a hypocritical action or actions done, not for the good of others in mind, but to gain praises from the tongues of other people. And Christ warned his disciples about this. This is what he says in Matthew 6, verse 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will receive no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give, to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. And look at what Christ says, that they may be praised by others. That's the condition, that's the thing they want. We'll give so that the pastors can praise me, the members can praise me, so that my wife or my husband can commend me. Or so that my boss may notice. So no trumpet. Don't look to the praises of men. From the uh, praises that come from the tongues of men. But when you give to the needy. Do not let. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. Don't let yourself do actions, do service, so that you are praised by men. Because if you look for the praises of men, when we do not notice, what happens? You get angry, isn't it? You get disappointment, disappointed. We have done all this work. The pastors can't even acknowledge me. Done all this work and the deacons haven't even written something to say, oh, doing a good work. I've done all this and my wife or my husband or my children have not acknowledged it. And especially we parents, we need to be careful. eh? Because there is this statement parents sometimes like saying, After I have done all this for you. So what are you saying? You did it so that your children may notice? Or so that your wife may notice and respond in a certain way? Or so that your husband may notice? Be very careful. Guard your tongue from that statement. Do what you're supposed to do. And do it for the glory and honor of God. That's how you keep your love, Jane. But then as I come to an end, there are those who do not know this love of Christ. There are those who are still living in their sins. There are those who actually the kind of love they know is that false love. The world, the, the, the love of the world. What they think is love is promiscuity, 
and romance and lying to one another and empty words and big words. The truth is that we read that there are those who are the sheep, there are the goats, those who are outside the kingdom of God. And if you are not in Christ, you are outside the kingdom of God. And you are not able to fulfill this. You are not able to live out this love. But I come to you this afternoon and call you to repent and believe in Christ. For then you will know this great Savior. Then you will experience his love and be able to love with a genuine love. To the believers, this is a call for us to love one another. Sacrificially. As Christ loved us, practically, as the Lord has blessed us, and most of all, to keep our love genuine by looking towards the praises of God. Not a change, don't love that person so that they may simply change. Love them because God has commanded you. Love that brother, that sister. In Pray for them. Serve them. Don't expect to just be served. Oh, I came and no one did this for me and no one did that for me. No, did you do it for other people? Let us be those who use our hands and our legs and all that God has given us. Let us. Oh Lord, we come before you. We acknowledge our Heavenly Father that we are weak, that we do not love us you command that as you require. And, O oh Lord, we pray and we ask you that you would grant us the strength and the energy in Christ to love one another with a genuine love. To love one another with deep affection and with actions, with a right attitude, a gentle attitude, a patient attitude a long-suffering attitude. Help us, O oh Lord, that we would not ignore the needs of the same. That we would never say, I have too little to help. Oh, I have so many needs, I can't help. O oh Lord, help us. That we would give of ourselves, even as you gave of, our, of yourself. So be with us, Lord, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.